So Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You may be seated and join me in prayer. Father, I'm grateful for a lot of things for life and breath and every good thing that you give us, so many good gifts, so many of those gifts for me in my own life or in this room, and so many gifts for the other people in this room or sitting next to them by their sides. People are a gift. This building is a gift. This church is a gift. This day is a gift. So many gifts, none greater than Jesus. We are thankful for him. We pray that as we pause and close our mouths and open our ears that you would help us to hear and see great and glorious truths in your word. And then, as we leave here today, you'd help us to live in light of what we've seen and what we've heard. So help us by the power of the Spirit for the glory of Christ. Amen. So I said last week uh, that one of the things, uh, two weeks ago, I think, is a couple weeks ago I was doing the Lord's Supper uh, and messed it all up, and that's been an ongoing joke because I handed things out in the wrong order, and that's fine. Everybody makes mistakes, and we're thankful for justification by faith alone. Um, amen. And so, uh, but I'd said when I was talking about the Lord's Supper that one of the reasons I'm thankful for this church is because of the focus, the centrality of Jesus. Jesus is central, and we don't want you to miss Jesus. So nobody wants you to be able to come here, sit in these pews, and sing songs, and hear sermons, and miss Jesus. And the reason... Uh, that we don't want you to miss Jesus is because without Jesus, you have no hope, right? We don't want you to miss Jesus because without him, you have no eternal hope, right? Jesus says this, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then you get the apostles preaching that same message. Acts chapter 4, right? There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Or John later on in one of his later writings, 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has Life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, right? So you put all that together, and it's like, there's no hope without Jesus. You better see Jesus. You better not miss Jesus, right? So at this church, we don't want you to miss Christ. He's your hope in life and death forever. That's it. There's no other hope. Not money, not power, not fame, not your pastors. Jesus. But the other thing that we want you to know 
is that you should not miss Jesus, nor should you keep Jesus to yourself, right? You should not be stingy with Jesus. Jesus is not like, hey, he's my savior, he's my friend, he's my buddy, I've got him and me and him in our personal relationship, and that's kind of it, and I just want to keep him, that private relationship type thing, right? All, my religion is me and my God. It's, it's between me and God, or between me and Jesus, and that's just not biblical Christianity. No, no, my relationship with Jesus is personal, and I want you to see it. And I want you to know it. And hey, let me introduce you to my king. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me introduce you to my Savior. I don't want to be stingy with Jesus. What's the children's song that comes to mind? Right? Uh, This little light of mine. You're exactly right, man. This little light of mine. And what should you not do with that little light of yours? Hide it under a bushel? No, right? So you shouldn't do that. So that even kids' songs have massive things to teach us, right? And so you have Jesus, you have this light, and you should let it shine. You should want to give it away. So we are not stingy with Jesus. We don't want you to miss Jesus, nor should you keep Jesus to yourself. Disciples go into the world and they give Jesus away, right? We want you to know about this great Lord and Savior of our Lives And so here's the big idea. There's a lot of things to say in Acts and in Acts 1.8 and the first several passages that we read. But here's the big idea. So if you're taking notes, you're a note taker, I'm giving you just kind of the one big idea. So if you're standing in line at Hogan Brothers later, which is a fantastic place to eat and we miss that, um, you're standing there. And somebody says, hey, what was the sermon about today? This is it. You can, you can say, oh, you really paid attention. Well, for the first 30 minutes or 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 seconds, I paid attention. So here we go. We are witnesses for Christ telling the world about the salvation found in Jesus alone. That's a big idea. So you can break that apart into the smaller one. You're witnesses for Christ. That's what I want you to know. I want you to see it. And then we're going to talk about what that means, right? That's it. So what's the sermon about? Oh, you talking about being witnesses for Jesus. Oh, cool. You paid attention. Well, good. We are witnesses for Christ telling the world, this expands a little bit, about the salvation found in Jesus alone. So we're witnesses to Jesus and their salvation in Jesus alone. Remember, no hope without Christ. So that's the big idea. We're witnesses for Christ. So here in the book of Acts... Jesus is going to get to that pretty quickly. And we're going to start here at the beginning where he's sitting around with his disciples. He's been raised from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he's talking to his disciples. He's still teaching, right? He's still discipling. He's still investing. He's been crucified. He's risen. And he's teaching. He's teaching them about what? About the kingdom of God. Can you imagine sitting around with the king of the kingdom listening to messages about the kingdom of God? It would be amazing. It would be amazing to hear Jesus teach anything. But particularly, he's talking about the kingdom of God, this massive reality. So here he is teaching them. And so it leads them to a question. The disciples are listening. And as they do, they ask questions. We should be good students, ask good questions. We should be like that. And here's the question they ask. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, a lot of people see that question and then see how Jesus answers and thinks that he kind of brushes it aside. He kind of offers a, maybe a mild rebuke or he's ignoring their question saying, hey, don't worry about that. Let's get on to this other really more important stuff. 
I don't think that Jesus is doing that. I think what he says in verse 8, which is the answer to the question. So if you're reading this and you're breaking it down, you have a question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7 is the answer to that question, right? And so the answer, I think, perfectly answers their question, but in a way they did not expect. Now, I'm going to come back to that at the end. So just kind of, okay, well, how does it perfectly answer the question? Because it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like he rushes past it. It sounds like he says, hey, you're asking the wrong questions. Let's focus on this thing over here. But I actually think he answers the question, and you're going to see how at the end of the sermon. And I'll remind you that I told you that later. Okay, so we're going to come back to that. But the big idea, again, that first part, is you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. That's where we want to go. Basically, what Jesus is doing here is giving his church, his disciples, his followers, their marching orders. He's giving them their mission. Earlier, we read Matthew 28. This mission is stated in different ways. Matthew 28, it's known as the Great Commission, right? You go to the nations and make disciples, and in places like 2 Corinthians 5, you're, you're ambassadors for Christ. And so they're stated in different ways in different places. Here, Jesus is giving his disciples, his followers, their marching orders. You will be my witnesses, and you're going to do it all over the planet. And that falls to us, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. So let's dwell on this verse. Five things that I want to pull out. Five things. So again, if you're a note taker, be witnesses for Christ. And then here's the outline. Number one, who are the witnesses? Number two, what is a witness? That's, can I get a witness? Like, well, what does that mean? Right. Number three, where are witnesses called to go? Number four, where does the power to witness come from? And then number five, how does witnessing relate to the kingdom? That question the disciples asked, and we'll come to that at the end. So let's just take those one by one real quickly because we've got a business meeting in the wild play at one. Somebody already told me. So number one, who are the witnesses, right? Who are the witnesses? Look what he says. Jesus, I want you to look at your Bibles. Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them they are his witnesses. But you, notice this, two times in the verse, uh, the first part of verse 8 and the last part, you, you will be my witnesses. And I was just struck by that this week, dwelling on the word you. You should dwell on words. And he says, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't look at the, the random crowds or Jewish religious leaders or the powerful, smartest, brightest people that he could find. He, doesn't, he just gathers this ragtag group and he says, you are my witnesses. He looks at his disciples who have left families and friends and vocations to follow him. His early disciples and says, you're going to be my witnesses. And then they go out and do it and they die. <laughs> right? They die. We're going to back to that in a moment. So then I just started to think, okay, if they're his witnesses and they go do it and they die, who are the witnesses today? Who are these witnesses today? And the answer is normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill men and women who have placed their trust in Jesus. So is that anybody in the room? Normal, everyday, except for Kurt, not normal. Take out the normal part. Run of the mill, every day, repented of your sins, trusted in Jesus. So you don't have to raise your hand, but if that's you, then the answer to who are the witnesses today is you. 
Jesus looks at his disciples. You will be my witnesses. Jesus looks at his disciples. He's alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father, blood pumping through his veins. He's got a flesh and blood body raised from the dead. He looks at his disciples and says, You, you will be my witnesses. Now think about that. Jesus, smartest guy ever walked the face of the earth, and say, hey, what's your plan for reaching the nations? TJ, that's my plan. I'm like, hmm, could have had a better plan maybe. That's his plan, right? He looks at his disciples, weak, foolish things according to the world, right? We're foolish. We believe foolish things, right? You've heard me say this? We believe crazy things. God becomes a man, dies, gets up, ascends into the clouds, can't see him, comes back on a horse. That's the story. Foolish, right? He chooses people that believe that stuff and says, you're my plan for reaching the nations. He looks at his disciples and says, you will be my witnesses. It brings to mind 1 Corinthians 1, doesn't it? Verses 26 through 20 or through 30 there. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, purpose statement, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. Then he ends that passage, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So point number one, who are the witnesses for Christ? You are. Disciples, Christians, followers of Jesus. And this is a massive task. This is God's plan to reach the nations. In Northfield, in Bolivar, Missouri, or in the Bolivian jungle, this is the plan. So you look around and say, we're the army here, we're the witnesses here, called to go and be ambassadors for Christ. That is a massive privilege. It's our pleasure, Chick-fil-A says, right? It's our pleasure. It's weighty. We need to know what it means. So what does it mean for me to be a witness, right? Well, let's go look at that word. That's number two. Number one, who are the witnesses? You. Number two, what does that mean? What is a witness? You're saying, great, we're all in, we get this, this is the choir, I want to do this. What does it mean? Help me understand what it means to witness. Well, first, the word itself is where we get the English word martyr, where you get the English word. So, wait a minute now, I thought I was all in, time out. Maybe not, right? It's where we get the English word martyr. But the word did not merely mean someone who dies for their faith. It didn't merely mean that. The word originally, the idea was simply someone who testified to what they've seen and heard. So he tells his disciples, you are my witnesses. You're to go and testify to what you've seen and heard. And what have they seen and heard? They have seen Jesus. They've seen his miracles. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him heal the lame and, and raise the dead. They, they've seen him crucified. They've seen him get up out of a grave. They've seen these things. They've experienced Jesus. And now to be a witness is to go into the world and tell people what you've seen. They'd seen so much. Most often in the book of Acts, it's interesting, this, this idea of witnessing is tied to the resurrection, which makes sense, right? You see somebody get up out of the grave, and it's like, you can't keep that to yourself, right? I should tell somebody that this guy got up, right? 
So in the, in the Bible, so I'll just give you a couple of examples, like uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 22. This, uh, yeah, verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus, uh, or no, that's chapter 2. Chapter 22, here it is. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they're going to replace Judas, and one of the requirements to replacing is somebody had seen Jesus get up. Now that becomes their message, chapter 3, verse 15. So chapter 1, verse 22, to be a disciple, you have to witness the resurrection. Chapter 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. That's resurrection. To this, we are witnesses. And so to be a witness is to testify to what you've seen and heard. And one of the most central realities the disciples were to tell people is that Jesus got up. You tried to crucify him. You tried to stop him. And God raised him from the dead. Now, if you believe that sitting in this room, changes everything. If you believe that, there's a man who was God, who was crucified and buried and was raised. If you believe that, changes everything. Changes everything. If he's still in a grave, it also changes everything. We're wasting our time. I could have slept in. I don't sleep in a lot, but could have at least thought about it. But he's alive. That becomes the message. So you're a witness. If you're a Christian, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you're a Christian, you have been born again. You have been given eyes to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. If you're a Christian, you have seen Jesus by faith. And now you're called to witness to the world, to tell people what you've seen and heard. This is the content of our message as witnesses. We don't have, I, I hate the, the vague way Christians talk sometimes. You know, how are you saved? What's it mean? I'll just believe in God. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And no, no, the Bible never says that. It never ta- calls you to simply believe in God for justification. There's a message in the Bible in the New Testament that lands on Jesus. God sent His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whosoever should believe in Him. So that our message is specific. It's not some vague deity floating around out there that you need to hope in. No, no, no. There's a God who sent His Son whose name is Jesus and you need to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. That's what we witness to. It's Jesus who was raised. So the content of our messages we've seen We've tasted, we've heard Jesus. Don't miss him, don't be stingy with him. That's who we give away. Now, where do we do this? Keep looking back at the verse. So you will be my witnesses. So you're the disciples, now you, and you will be my witnesses. We've explained what a witness is. Where? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So notice the, the geographical expansion if you're looking at a map. Jerusalem is the city, right? You get Jerusalem, then you get Judea, and then just north of Judea is Samaria, and you got the, the Jordan River flowing to the right there, or on the right, down north to south, how rivers flow, I think. So Judea, Samaria, Galilee, that's Israel, ends of the earth, right? 
the call starts at home, Jerusalem. So you say, you be my witnesses in Northfield, in all Minnesota, and even Iowa, or North and South Dakota, and to the ends of the earth. Transcends local boundaries, goes to the whole world. And then that becomes just a paradigm for the whole book of Acts. Acts 1 through 7 is... Oops. Acts 1 through 7 uh, is, is um, kind of the first part of, uh, of the book of Acts, and that's focusing in on Jerusalem, and then you get 8 through 12, and the gospel begins to go into Judea and Samaria, and then you get uh, chapters 13 through 28, and you get the gospel going to the ends of the earth. You get Paul where at the book of Acts, in the end of the book of Acts? Where? Rome. That's not Israel, right? It's going out. That's the idea. The whole book is called, there's a big call to go to the ends of the earth. The gospel is not meant to stay in our neighborhoods, but go to the nations. Again, we're not stingy with Jesus. We want our neighbors and the nations to know him. So that's a massive task, right? You, weak, redeemed sinners, you are my witnesses testifying what you've seen and heard. And you're called to do this here and there and everywhere. Ah, oh, how do you do it? Who can, who can bear that weight, right? So, a privilege, massive responsibility. Heavy. We need power. What does Jesus say? If you go back to Acts chapter 1, he tells them, you will be, or you will receive power. So before he tells them, you will be my witnesses, he first tells them power. They need power. He said the same thing at the end of book of Luke, Luke 24, 49. He says the same thing, and Luke also writes the book of Acts, so he's kind of recounting things. So you get the same kind of word there, this promise of the Spirit. If we would be effective, if we would have the courage and the boldness to cross the street and cross cultures in order to share the gospel, we need the help of the Spirit. Sharing the gospel can be frightening, it can be nerve-wracking, should be, just, I want to share the gospel, I want to tell you about Jesus, right? But I understand we're, we're weak. The heart is willing, the flesh is weak. I understand that. We need help. So Jesus knows that. So he sends the Spirit to bear us up, to embolden us, to give us spines of steel in the moment. But we also need help because if lost people will be saved, if sinners who are dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, would come to life, you can't do that. You can't do that. That takes the spirit of the living God to call people from death to life. That's why in Ephesians 2, you get dead in trespasses and sins, and then you get verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God. But God. And what does God do in Ephesians 2, 4? He makes us what? Alive. Makes us alive. So we need the help of the Spirit because 
Evangelism can be scary. Evangelism can be hard, and we need the Spirit to embolden us. And because sharing the gospel with dead people means we need someone outside of them to speak life into them. And God does that. Valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel, right? God does that. Jesus in a grave, God does that. Lazarus laying there, Jesus tells him to come out, God of very God. And when we share the gospel, here's this, here's this amazing thing that you get to be part of it. You share the gospel with somebody, God uses your words to bring life. How often in the Bible God speaks and things are created? Begin, in the beginning, there's the heavens and the earth and God speaks and there's life. Same thing. People are dead in their trespasses and sins, but then you share the gospel of Jesus and God uses it to bring people to life. So it may be scary, but how awesome is it to sit down with somebody, tell them about Jesus, and watch just maybe, just maybe, in this moment, I'm going to see new birth. Just maybe, in this moment, I get to witness a miracle of God creating life. I want to go share the gospel with somebody and watch that happen. We need the help of the Spirit because it's the Spirit who does that. It's God who makes people alive, and He does so through the gospel. You're born, this is First this is Peter, you're born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God, which he defines in verse 25 of chapter 1 as the gospel. You're born again through the gospel. And you, my friends... You have the gospel. And you go and share the gospel. And then God awakens sinners. So we are his disciples. So we are witnesses. We testify to what we've seen and heard. We do it all over the world. And we need the help of the Spirit to give us both the courage and to use our words to bring people to life. So your hope in reaching your family members... Your neighbors, the nations, not, it doesn't rest in your intellect, degrees, how smart you are, none of that. Your hope with reaching your family member, kids, your neighbors, people at work, rests 100%, not 99 and then 1% you, no, no, 100% in the power of God. So there's hope. There's hope. Any situation you walk into, because God is powerful. So we are witnesses, testifying to the good news of Jesus throughout the world, praying that God would work by the power of His Spirit to save sinners for their joy and His glory. So let me close with a few short exhortations from this passage real quick. We're not talking about being a witness or another word that we normally use is evangelism. We talk about this. It does not merely mean, this is the picture that I think that comes to people's minds, walking up to random people on the street or knocking on random doors and saying, hey, you have a second? I want to talk to you about if you die today. And it's like, whoop. That's an awkward way to start a conversation. Right. I used to do that, first became a believer, very zealous, and a bunch of us college kids after church on Wednesday night, we'd go to Walmart 
we do have those in Kentucky, many Walmarts. Um, no targets that I know of. Well, there's one in Lexington. But we'd go to Walmart, and uh, we'd walk up to random people. We were so crazy. And we just said, hey, can I ask you a question? If you were to die today, you're like, you haven't seen me, you don't know me, and some kid in Walmart walks up and says, if you were to die today, where would you spend the rest of your life? And we try to share the gospel. Now, I can quibble with the, the method, but the zeal, right? That's good. But most people, that's, that's what you think of when you think of evangelism, right? We're going to do door-to-door -door type stuff. But let me, let me paint a different picture. Sometimes you simply need to be ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. The ordinary person, Kurt, ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. You're human beings. You know what it's like to live on the earth. Fairly normal. Do ordinary things. Ride bikes. Start schools. Coach high school football. Join a pickleball league. Can't wait to do that. Go to local events, high school basketball games, football games, or college basketball games, and college football games. Be part of the neighborhood. Have a cookout. Do normal things. Ordinary people, you're doing ordinary things. Here's the difference. You're intentional. Gospel intentionality. I want to get to know these people, and yes, I do have a plan. I do have a plan. I want to get to know them, and I want to build a relationship that's strong enough to bear the burden of truth. A relationship that's strong enough to bear the burden of truth. I know you, you know me, you know I care for you. I want to tell you something, and it's the most amazing, important news on the face of the planet. So live that type of life. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Number two, perhaps the Lord would call you to pick up and do something extraordinary. Like move to the Bolivian jungle or Bolivar, Missouri. In order to make disciples. What was attractive about moving to Missouri? Nothing really. I mean, the town's not great. I know one person there, one But if God is the king, Christ is Lord, and my life is meant to be about making disciples, and that's where he wants it to happen, that's where I go. In one sense, it's as easy as that. Another sense, really hard. That sense, really easy. So have you ever prayed about going to the nations? or moving to a new neighborhood simply for the sake of the gospel. People do this all the time. I move into Missouri. There's, I don't know the church situation down there. I called a guy, said, hey, you want to plant a church? And he's praying about it right now. He's from Kentucky, so I already know him. There's a relationship, and he's, he's praying. So if you don't have good church options, you just start one. But it's like he's praying. Like it wasn't a question for him. He just lives that way. He's like, well, man, I don't know. I like what I'm doing. But you're asking, I'll pray. 
So when we, uh, man, I'm, what time am I supposed to be done? I can't remember. Um, when we started here, when new members, I don't know if you still do this, one of the things we did, you put a, a, a passport application in the new members' packets. And it's like, why? Because maybe in five years you won't live here. So just pray. Maybe God would call you to do something extraordinary. Number three, don't try to reach people in your own power. Pray for the Spirit's help. One of the theological values here, spirit dependent when it comes to evangelism or discipleship or whatever it is you do. Number four, number four, hold the rope. Hold the rope of others. 1793, William Carey, um, British Baptist, go Britain, uh, Ruth. British Baptist and Andrew Fuller, another British Baptist, and Carrie's going to go to India on mission, and he's like, I need somebody to support me, somebody to hold the rope as I descend into India, and Fuller says, we'll hold the rope, we'll hold the rope. What that meant was financial support, prayer support, relational support, we'll hold the rope. So be a church that holds the rope for John and Caroline Norris and Micah Burkle and the Galeanos, and so many others that are preaching the gospel in extraordinary places. Hold the rope because you want to see the gospel run and flourish. Finally, how does all this relate to the kingdom of God? I said I'd come back to this. When the disciples, go back to Acts 1. Make sure you look at your Bible. Go back to the Acts 1 there. When they ask that question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? People have been so hard on the disciples. Do they miss it? What are they worried about? Some nationalistic, political thing? Probably. But they've also been reading their Old Testaments. Because the Old Testament, one of the promises is restoration of Israel. Restoration of the kingdom. So you go to Isaiah 32, 32, 15 in the midst of this restoration talk, talks about the Holy Spirit coming. You go to Isaiah 43, 12, and he talks about being my witnesses. You go to Isaiah 49, 6, and it's to the ends of the earth. All that is in the context of restoration. So the disciples ask this, Lord, is that time now? Is that time that we've longed for today? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know time or seasons. So the timing part to put over here but go be my witnesses Isaiah in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria who are divided they're going to come back together go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and they're thinking oh Isaiah it's coming but how does it come not through an army not through swords not through national power or political power the kingdom comes when they share the gospel, when they're witnesses for Christ, the Messiah, the King of Israel, He's here. And then people in their hearts bow their knees to King Jesus. And whenever somebody bows their knee to King Jesus, a bit of the kingdom comes to earth. And then, bit by bit, congregations spring up of people who have bowed their knee to King Jesus. And then a little bit of the kingdom microcosms of the kingdom of God on earth until the king returns and brings the kingdom to completion fully and finally. So he answers their question and says, the kingdom's coming, not in the way you think. Go be my witnesses. And as people bow their knees to the king of the kingdom, a little bit of heaven on earth until I bring it 
in full. So until Christ returns or calls us home, let's go be witnesses for Christ until he establishes the kingdom in full. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thankful for the Bible. Grateful for Jesus. I pray that we've believed in him. I pray that people in this room have turned from sin and embraced him by faith. And I pray you would give us the strength and the courage to give him away, to be witnesses for Christ. And as we do, by the power of your Spirit, would you save multitudes for their good, for the joy of all peoples, and for the fame of his name. Amen.